There's one word with three letters that has captivated people, frustrated people, and led to so much of the discoveries in our world, and it's, it's this, why? Why has taken scientists and engineers, medical professionals, and launched them into a journey to help us discover some of the greatest technologies that we have today? Why has kept philosophers busy for thousands of years? Why has allowed parents to sit down with their kids and experience awe and wonder together as they're learning how to navigate the world? Why has taken parents and made them incredibly frustrated with their children because they won't stop asking why? Anybody else feel the frustration of the 24,000th? Why is this the case? Why? And we're starting a series today that, that answers important questions specifically around why do we gather as a church? Why do we gather on a Sunday and pray? Why, why do we pray? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we preach? Why do we sing? Why do we give when we gather? Is there a precedent for this? Is there a pattern? Are we making it up as we go along? Why do we do some of these foundational things as we gather as a church? And we just spent six months studying the book of Acts. And man, that was probably one of the favorite series that I have preached through here in the five-year history of our church. I was expecting someone to amen that, or that was, wow, it is such a joy to be your pastor. I just want you to know, y'all make me feel great. Um, but we watched the birth of the early church and the growth of the early church, and much of what we're doing now as a church was established. Some of those patterns were there in the early church. And so we're going to look back to the book of Acts some as we talk about why do we pray? Why do we sing? Why do we preach? Why do we give when we gather? And so I'm going to remind us of a verse back in chapter 4 of Acts, which is after Peter and some of the other apostles were arrested, they were persecuted, then they were released. And when they were released, they went back and told everyone there about what had happened. And when they told everyone about what had happened, they decided to pray. And Acts 4 verse 31 says this, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God boldly. They were not going to be stopped. And what we learned in the early church so often is, gosh, they spread rapidly and the gospel was saturating the early uh, areas and regions. But persecution broke out and there were struggles and trials. And the response of the gathered church to a world that was against them wasn't a strategy meeting. It wasn't a vision casting moment. It was prayer. Prayer anchored the, the early church, and prayer today still anchors us as a church. And years later, when Paul wrote to a church that he planted in Philippi, he told them, hey, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So later to a church that Paul planted, he said, listen, worry about nothing and pray about everything. And so most of us would know prayer at its foundation is talking to God. It's it's not meditation. It's not passive reflection. It's direct access to God. It's a communication from a human soul to the creator of our souls. And so let's talk about it today. Lord, we pray that we would not only know why, but we would know how, and that prayer would be foundational to both, uh, for us both corporately and individually. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. When you read through the Bible... Prayer is described in Exodus as seeking God's favor. In Samuel, it's described as like pouring one's heart out before the Lord. In 2 Chronicles, it's crying out to heaven. In Psalms, it's drawing near to God. And then Ephesians, it's kneeling before the Father. So there's different ways it's described. But throughout the Bible, there is a constant Uh, exhortation to pray. Go read in Luke 18, Romans 12, Ephesians 6, you'll find exhortations. If you go to Mark 11, you'll see where Jesus said, you know, God's house is to be a house of prayer and God's people are to be a people of prayer. So we know that prayer is foundational. So when you preach on prayer, it's sort of interesting. I don't expect anyone here today to go, oh, didn't know that had no idea that we were supposed to be praying. So you're telling me I'm supposed to talk to God. You, you know that. And a normal response to a sermon on prayer is for you to feel a little bit guilty and for you to say, I'm going to pray more. And so when you leave here, the very next meal that you eat, you're going to have your most eloquent, well-articulated prayer of your life. And then you kind of go back to some other patterns. And so we don't want that. So what I want to do today is two things really simply, really three. Number one, I want to put a 50,000-foot framework around why we pray. I'm going to talk about that. Number two, I want to give you some directed prayers that you can begin to pray. So why, then how. And then three, we're actually going to give you space to pray. It would seem incongruent to talk about prayer as a foundation of the church and then just say amen and leave. And so we're going to spend time praying at the end. So let's, let's begin with the first point, kind of 50,000 foot. Why do we pray? I've, I've already told you it's like commanded in the scriptures. So assuming that, why else do we pray? Number one, you want to write these down. Like, prayer is powerful. It's powerful. Let me communicate that by going in a different direction. Let me ask you a question. Who saves people, God or man? Easy question. God. Read the Bible. God could have done it many ways, but he has chosen always to use a human instrument to proclaim the gospel. God uses the proclamation of the gospel through a human instrument in order to save people. Only God can save. It's a divine work, but he uses people. I say that to say prayer is a way that still moves the hand of God, even though God is sovereign and knows and sees all. God is sovereign. He sees and knows the beginning from the end. Acts 17 says he knows the boundaries and times of your entire life. However, somehow, miraculously, prayer moves the hand of God. It's powerful. If you go back and read in Mark 6, 
Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and he's sending the disciples across the lake. And while they're on the lake, the winds come up, and they freak out, and they're really scared. Jesus takes off. He's walking on the water. And the Bible says, listen, he intended to pass them by. He knew they were going to be fine. He knew they'd make it to the shore. He's like, they're fine. They're a little bit scared, but they're going to be fine. And it says they see him, and they cry out, and he He changes direction and goes over there. He intended to pass them by. They cry out. He moves. God is sovereign. I don't tell him what to do. He knows what's going to happen, but somehow prayer is powerful and it moves the hand of God. So one of the reasons why we pray is because it's powerful corporately. Our prayers matter. And not only is it powerful because it moves the hand of God, but listen, this is equally important. Prayer moves our heart back into alignment with God. Because when we pray and we make petitions, I'm saying, God, I feel this and I sense this and I long for this, but ultimately what I'm praying for is not my will, but his. And so prayer is an opportunity for us to admit God is greater than us, stronger than us, and more powerful than us. And in any situation, God, I want to trust you. And so it realigns my heart to his, which is powerful because I'm saying, God, not not my will, but yours. I'm seeking your will. I'm seeking your best. And so prayer is powerful. It moves the hand of God, but it also moves my heart back into alignment with his. That's number one. Number two, prayer reminds us, man, that, that we need God. Prayer is powerful because it puts us in a place of dependence. And we really need this in this area of the world where we live in Williamson County and the surrounding area, more brains and power per square inch than anywhere else in the world. And sometimes we operate with this false illusion of control. We're not that big of a deal. Doesn't matter what you do or who you are. We are very, very tiny and he is very, very big. And so the church gathers like, we need you, Lord. There isn't anyone in this room whose life can't be unhinged with a phone call. My life belongs to God. This church belongs to God. Our mission belongs to God. And we need the power of God. You can't do God's purposes in God's world without God's power. So it's a reminder, God, we need you. We are desperate and needly and lonely and naked without you. We need you. So it's a reminder every week of that. Three, I love this. It's an invitation. An invitation that we so often forget into the holy of holies, the very presence of God. And whenever you get near to the holy of holies, an invitation to the presence of God, there should be both joy and awe and trepidation. Read Isaiah 6. When he walked in, there was awe and wonder, but also woe is me. Because it's an invitation into intimacy, but it's also an invitation into his holiness. And throughout history, like the pendulum between transcendence and eminence has really swung. I want to tell you what I mean by that. Transcendence is this idea of God is holy. He is other. No one looks upon him and lives. That's, that's transcendence. And then, then in eminence is, you know, he, he walks with me and he talks with me. And so throughout history, groups of people like the pendulum swings. And sadly, in our culture, the, the pendulum has swung so far towards eminence. He walks with me that we have created a God 
that no one fears. And so there should be this, he walks with me and he talks with me, but also you are a holy, infinite God and I only exist because you allow it. He's not the big guy upstairs, he's God. But we're invited in. Through the blood of Jesus, he says, come here. And in Luke 18, one of my favorite parables is the parable of the persistent widow. Show of hands, have you ever read that? I love that. Because there's this picture of this widow who is just like pestering God and coming to God and day after day and hour after hour and minute after minute. And God's response is like, come on, keep coming. It's this, it's this picture of God saying, pester me, bother me, come to me, keep coming to me. And I struggle with that because I raised three kids and I don't answer them the same way. Any parent feel that? Like that is not my response, because I don't know about your house, but in the Owens house, when I say no, that's like it. If I say yes, it's yes. If I say no, it's no. And if you keep asking, that's the quickest way to ensure you're not going to get your way. But they still feel like, well, maybe dad will change his mind. Can I go? No. 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 No. Not only no now, but now it's no for all of eternity. And you know what? Pack up your room. We're taking it to goodwill. <laughs> I'm not God. I'm a human. That's my response. Aren't you glad your pastor's not God? <laughs> I just, I don't want to be pestered or bothered. But God is the opposite. You read the parable. Bother me. Pester me. He does not grow weary. In fact, he invites it. Even if you're praying the same thing over and over and over and over again, he's like, just come to me. Come to me. My, my wife and I prayed for a child for eight years, 365 days a year for eight years until God answered our prayer. God does not get weary and grow tired of you coming to him. And so we need to be reminded, like, it's an invitation. So those are sort of 50,000-foot reasons, like, why? God, I mean, God commands it, but, but it, it gives us a grid where we can go. It's, it's powerful. We need him, and it's an invitation. And so that's why, but I also want to give you some how. And many of you have been trained, like, in the Acts model, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Some of you have been trained in, like, you know, repent, release, rejoice. There are a lot of different like models that are out there. And, and I was privileged to spend some time with our team, with Stephen Mansfield last year. And he, he gave us like a, a prayer for leaders. And I just want to share it with you because every one of you is a leader in some capacity, whether it's in your home, at work, in this church. Like, you're, like this has been transformative for me. And I want to give you some how, some specific how. So I want you to Either take a picture of the screen or write these down because this has been transformative for me and for my team. And this, this may give you some specific ways to be purposeful in the way that you pray. And so number one, you need to be beginning to say, God, would you open my eyes to the spiritual battles that are in this world? In our neat and tidy area of the world, I mean, the Wall Street Journal calling us the millennial Mayberry of America. It's often lost on us that what we see isn't the most real thing happening. 
Let me, let me say that again. What we see is not the most real thing happening. There is a spiritual realm and world around us that is more real than what we experience because this world will one day fade away, but God's kingdom and the spiritual realm will not. And so you need to have a prayer life that says, God, dial me into what's really happening here. I'm not saying there's a demon behind every door, but what I am saying is not every problem is just a problem. And not every reality is just an issue. There is a spiritual battle and a war waging that most of us forget about. If you go back and you read in 2 Kings chapter 6, the, the king from Ammon is coming to attack the king of Israel, and Elijah keeps telling the king where he's going to be, and the king of Ammon gets really mad, and they go and they surprise Elijah and the king, and they surround him, and they look outside, and they're surrounded, and they're fearful. And Elijah says, God, would you open this servant's eyes to what's happening? And God, in a moment, gives him a vision of hundreds and hundreds of flaming chariots around him. He's like, don't worry. There's a whole lot more of us than there are of them. And so you need to begin asking the Lord, just open your eyes to this. What's the, what's the soul issue here? What's really going on in this situation? Instead of being bitter about everything, man, let's be broken and prayerful people. Because there's a spiritual battle over your life in this world that many of you have forgotten about. So Lord, op open my eyes. Number two, Open my eyes, but then train, train me for those spiritual battles. Train my hands. Psalm 14 says, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for battle. So Lord, train me. God has skills and resources that you don't. God can unlock gifts that he put inside of you that you can't. God can, through the power of the Spirit, make you equal to the challenge. Stop white-knuckling it and pulling yourself up by your own bootstrap in this world God, let me see the battle. Then God, train me for the battle. Equip me. Prepare me. Empower me for what's ahead of me. And, and then three, God, give me a godly focus that like cuts through the trivial in this world. Galatians 5 says that you would keep like a cadence with the Holy Spirit in your life that focuses your hearts and your mind on what really matters. And so I've, I've just been asking the Lord, God, would you cut away the optional? I want a singleness of heart. I want a singleness of action. I don't want optional in my life. And there are seasons where God has said, listen, I'm one of the most driven guys you're ever going to meet. You know, we're going to climb every mountain in front of us. We're going to conquer every battle. We're going to get after it. Heaven is real. Hell is hot. Let's go. But there are times where God's godly focus for me has said, hey, there is... A lot of work to do, but just go home and be a dad and a husband right now. That's the most godly focused thing you can do, because don't win the war and lose your family. And so you need a godly focus in your life. When you see the battles and you're trained for the battles, you need a godly focus that cuts away the optional and puts you right in the center of what God needs you to be doing. And as smart as you are, you don't always know what you need to be doing. So God, give me, a, give me a godly focus. And then four, give me a spiritual want to. How many of you wake up every day full of the Lord, excited for the task, and go to bed knowing you've completed everything that God wants you to do, and that's just your life, every day? So, oh, I want to make sure I count every hand here. This is, I don't, hold on. 
Yeah, just making sure that's all of us. Um, I don't, I'm your pastor, and I don't always want to. You're not always going to want to. It's because a physical person can't do spiritual things. And so you can only run on your own strength for so long. And that's why you wear out or burn out or get frustrated. It's just David in Psalm 51, restore to me. God, you restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. You can't do spiritual things with a physical strength. Only God can give you this. And many people have fallen away because they lost their spiritual want to. They begin to fill it with other things. And people are shocked that people they know, man, they walked with the Lord. They were leaders, pastors, friends, whatever, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And then all of a sudden, it felt like overnight, boom, they just fell. No, they didn't. It was a gradual shift away from the want to. And then at some point, they just stopped asking God for a spiritual want to, and they just quit. But it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. And then with that, then they, God, give me divine energy. You cannot accomplish, as I said, God's work in God's world without God's power. Paul said in Colossians 1.29, I labor, but I strive with the strength from you that works powerfully in me. This is where you start putting on the armor of God. You start getting to his work. Some of you can function in a crisis really, really well, but then the day-to-day is a struggle because it's one thing to have the adrenaline rush of, man, I'm going to get in there, but like the day-to-day grind, like I'm not really good at that. So you need divine energy. This is a desperate cry. This is a plea for power. This isn't a list. This is a way to be focused and specific. Next, grant, grant me a band of brothers. Or for you ladies, whatever you want to put. Soul sisters. What do you want here? I don't know. I didn't know what to put. Anybody? Soul sisters. Grant me some soul sisters. Whatever you want. Put it there. But you, you need a fire-free zone with accountability, confrontation, and encouragement, love. You, you need that. You've got to have it. Because there are Moments in my life when things come up and issues come up, and I cannot wait two weeks until I have coffee with Jack. I need to be able to get on the phone, to be able to text. You gotta, you gotta have it. And it takes time to find that right chemistry. So start praying, God, would you would you bring those people to me? Would you would you send me to those people? Because the best way to have a good friend is to what? Be a good friend. So you you put yourself out there, and you're going to be burned, but you got to, you got to go get after it. you got to find it because you need it. The Bible calls you to be woven together with other people. So you got to ask the Lord for this. And then lastly, make my words weapons of, of godly warfare. There is, there is so much power in what you say. Psalm 141.3 says, Lord, set a guard for my mouth and keep watch at the door of my lips. And if I were to ask you to evaluate, like over the last week, if the Lord's full strength were in your words over the last week, if the Lord's strength was just in all of your words, 
would you have torn down or built up where you went? If the Lord's strength was in your words, would there be devastation or would there be beauty? And so in our life, we, we need to be a group of people whose words are weapons of godly warfare. And so what, what we're going to do is, I, I know that this is a shorter sermon today. Don't get used to it. Next week, I'm going an hour. <laughs> but we're going to spend some time praying. Most of you know I should pray. I hope today you were reminded about why we pray. And I hope that this grid, and I hope you take it seriously, gives you a focused approach to the way you can begin praying. And so we're going we're gonna to spend the, the end of our sermon singing and praying and praying and singing. And so I want you to stand up. Most of you have, have not had 60 seconds, 30 seconds of quiet yet today. So we're going to sing and we're going to go through this entire grid praying. But before we do, open your hands to heaven. And I want you to just take the longest deep breath in you can take. And hold it in as long as you can hold it once you get there. And then exhale. Just Empty it out. One more time. Longest inhale. Hold it as long as you can. Longest exhale. And before we sing and we pray, why don't you just say, Good morning, God. Can you say that out loud? I want to know you better. I want to be connected. I want to be a person of prayer. I want to be changed by you. So God, don't, don't leave me the same. In Jesus' name.